This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard. Right here on pain.tv slash gold. How is everyone doing out there today, folks? I hope you're doing well. So yesterday, we diverted a bit from Dr. Charles Morgan III. And we actually took a look at Dr. Peter Scott Morgan. Okay. Dr. Peter Scott Morgan and his husband we took a look at so what we are going to do today folks is we're going to get back into charles morgan the third and we're going to try to finish that up for you so we can move forward into analyzing a podcast which featured dr peter emmanuel also like a charles morgan who works for the government And he wrote an assessment report called the uh, Cyber Soldier 2050, which we've talked about over the last few episodes. So we are going to get into that as soon as we are done with Dr. Charles Morgan. And then we're going to work our way over to Dr. James Giordano. But there's a few more pieces of the puzzle that we have to connect before we get there. But trust me, folks, this is all going into the history of transhumanism, the history of technocracy, the merger of the two, which I call technocratic transhumanism, which will then bring us back in time to Operation Paperclip. All right. So for those of you who did not listen yesterday to episode 42 on Dr. Peter Scott Morgan, credited as the first the first human cyborg, I recommend you check that out because, frankly, it was very interesting to me. And if I find it to be interesting, I assume you will as well. So definitely check that out. This guy had his organs removed, his voice box removed. He replaced his organs with machines, replaced his voice box with a synthetic deepfake audio voice of himself, and then operates life, well, he since passed away, but operated his life, his interactions with people in the real world using a 3D avatar, basically a deep fake video 3D avatar of himself. And then they were developing a system about a year before he died to allow him to be able to select 
responses to questions people would ask him utilizing an artificial intelligence driven answering system and so i found that to be fascinating as i said yesterday it was the merger the true merger the fusion of the biological digital and physical worlds the three components and the merger of which give us the force industrial revolution as klaus schwab would say ladies and gentlemen and so as we sit here some of us will say well i'm immune to this uh like me i'm immune to this but we're immune to this they can't do anything to us you've all know harari is crazy when he calls us hackable animals he has no dominion over me well in the case of dr peter scott morning morgan he did it willingly but they hacked him he was a hackable animal and so there are others out there volunteering for this type of technology every day the sad part is as i've noted here they are utilizing these people these unfortunate uh, situations where these gentlemen and these women come back from war with ptsd they come back with uh, amputated limbs and then they are talked into being guinea pigs for these Frankenstein technologies and these operations because they are seeking hope and they are seeking to repair their body uh, from whatever caused the damage to them. And so they get talked into being guinea pigs for Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and the military and the doctors and the scientists that make up the technocratic transhumanist faction of this world all right there was someone who had written me maybe it was page on pain.tv slash gold i believe it was a public statement i don't have it up in front of me uh, because it was on my phone and my iphone 13 is used as the camera it actually works better than my expensive webcam so page said on there the more she listens to the dust and gold standard the more she realizes that these elitists these wardens of the prison planet these technocratic scientists and engineers these transhumanist weirdos are developing this darkness run by satan or run by lucifer or whatever you want to call it to build this fake world around us and offer us anything that is an alternative to the natural world to god's world and as she said she believes that this is in fact end times this is not a religious show uh, and i do not support any sort of man-made man-run you know religious institution uh, i do believe there's a higher power i do believe there's some sort of mother nature or creator out there uh, i have my own beliefs when it comes to religious philosophy which i'm probably never really going to state on the show publicly because that's not the purpose of this show but i do believe there's some higher power i think things just work too perfectly too in sync from everything that happens within our bodies to the way babies are made to the way we interact with the environment to the way the uh, planets work to way the the earth works all of the systems the water the tides the sun the moon i think it's all too perfect and so i refuse to believe that that is all engineered by man and so i look at the technocrats and the transhumanists as nothing more than hackers pirates and hijackers of humanity and of natural life they are not creators they're not gods they can't even play god 
because if they were, they could snap their fingers and create anything they want. Instead, they focus on hacking humanity and hacking natural life. I've talked about this before, but I just want to lay it back out there so you understand where I'm coming from and my personal philosophy on this stuff. Although it doesn't matter as much. I'm just trying to prevent, uh, present the information to you as, uh, as the technocrats present it to the world. But, um, yeah, I believe they're hackers, they're hijackers, and they're pirates. And so the dangerous part is, although I say they have no dominion over me, if they geoengineer the skies, which they do, they geoengineer the air, they geoengineer the soil, the water, the food, uh, and now humanity itself, they are going to eventually have dominion over me because if they're engineering everything around me, all of the natural life elements that I need to interact with in order to live as a human, to be able to survive as a human, then they are going to have an effect over me. And that's why I sit here every day and talk about this stuff because you need to be aware of what's coming, whether we are going to try to avoid it, evade it, you know, get a hold of certain technologies that can help us, um, you know, filter our water or process the air around us or whatever it is, then that's what we're going to have to do to be able to evade these hackers, these hijackers, and these pirates. And so, as you notice throughout this um, show, I mix in pieces of some of the things that I'm doing in my personal life to avoid the medical industrial complex, um, to avoid the grocery stores and such as much as possible. And so I'm not there yet. You know, I'm 41. I've been talking about this stuff for a long time, but I haven't made dramatic moves in my life until uh, my wife got pregnant and I realized that I got to stop just talking about this. I have to do this because this is about my child now, not just about me. And so I find it to be quite strange that a lot of these people that are influencing the society that are in positions of social engineering, that are in positions of power when it comes to forming the prison planet, building the future metaverse, you know, working on brain chips, working on the merger of man and machine. A lot of these people don't even have children. So you say to yourself, they're making decisions for the now. Are they operating solely on greed, doing whatever's necessary to get money to live a crazy life, a fun life right now, because they don't really care about the next generation? I don't know. I mean, that's inside them. We can only try to understand where these people are coming from. But some of the Frankenstein technology and the disgusting things that they're involved with, it sort of leads you to no other place to believe other than to believe that they really don't care about the next generation. I don't think that they're putting brain chips inside people's heads because they believe that is the way that the next generation is going to survive. They talk about the dangers of artificial intelligence, the dangers of building supercomputer machines, but then at the same time, they're actually building them. So I don't know. I don't know what they think, folks. I just know I need to know about it. Some of you out there who find my show and listen, obviously, you want to know about it. And so I will continue to present this information. I want to thank everyone over at pain.tv slash gold for sending me uh, information that pertains to this show, for joining that community and helping support the Thomas Paine podcast and the Dust and Gold Standard. And 
those of you on uh, Twitter and those of you that listen to this show on the free side over at the podcast players, thank you very much. Uh, your listens help. And thank you all for leaving a five-star review and comment over at Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. So let me just talk about this quickly. We are going to jump back into Dr. Charles Morgan today. We're going to finish up that lecture he gave in 2018 to the West Point Academy cadets and faculty. We're going to finish that today and clear Dr. Morgan off the desk, at least for the time being. Then we are going to move over to the Cyborg uh, 2050 super soldier document that we started to review and i'm going to begin to uh, review that document alongside uh, this podcast left of boom i found where dr peter emmanuel one of the authors most instrumental in writing that paper for the government uh, a podcast he was on where he explains what they talk about. So we're going to go between the paper and the podcast, and that's probably what we're going to get into tomorrow as well, and then finish that up. And then there's a second podcast in that series that also talks about super soldiers. We're going to get into that, and also this document on China's super soldier program. And the reason why I want to get this out of the way is so that you have a clear understanding of what the government is currently doing. The uh, Frankenstein doctors like Dr. Charles Morgan III, like Dr. James Giordano, like Dr. Peter Emanuel are working on the problems they're trying to solve for the military and the Department of Defense and the CIA and the intelligence community at large. Because then, as we loop back to Joe Biden's transhumanist executive order, I think a lot of that will make more sense to you. And you will have a very clear understanding of what we're already doing. So a lot of stuff in the Biden executive order are things that are already happening. It's almost like the executive order when I read it was saying, this is where we're going. But in reality, it's already where we've been. It's already where we are. And so it just defines the future further. But as you see through the synthetic womb technology that we had to review, as you see through the designer babies, the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing, DNA splicing, as you see through Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, Internet of Senses, smart cities, as you've seen through the Neuralink brain chip uh, and other connected companies to the brain chip, as you've seen through the programs that Peter Thiel's working on in cooperation with the government, his companies like Palantir, Clearview AI, Ambrosia and such, as you've seen through all of this stuff we've covered up to this point, a lot of what's in Biden's executive order is already being done. Okay, it's already being funded. The CIA, through its venture firm in Qtel, has already invested in 500 Silicon Valley companies. So as you're seeing now, uh, and as we approach Biden's executive order, you see why I didn't jump into it when it came out two weeks ago, because I said, all right, now we have to accelerate the show. I've got to show them all the military super soldier stuff. I've got to get into Internet of Things, senses, Internet of Bodies, all of that, because I don't want to talk about the executive order until my audience understands all of the technology that's already out there. And this is not all of it, folks. I mean, this is one one hundredth of the technology that's already out there. But I want you to see that the executive order doesn't set into motion technocracy or transhumanism. The executive order just sums up the 
technocratic and transhumanist elements in which we are already working on in both the public and the private sectors of which you already know are one in the same. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back and we're diving right into Dr. Charles Morgan III and we'll finish that lecture up for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Payne.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here, right here on pain.tv slash gold, and I am Dustin Gold, your host. All right, folks, I backed up this lecture from 2018 by Dr. Charles Morgan III by about 30 seconds, so we could pick up where we left off yesterday. If you remember, I only got into uh, this lecture in the last segment of yesterday's show because we got tied up with the human cyborg story. But that was very important, and we needed to do that. So what we're looking at now, coming from Dr. Chuck here, Dr. Chucky Morgan, is he is talking about the mind. And he has a slide up on the screen. A mind is a terrible thing to lose. And yesterday we ended with him starting to talk about soldiers coming back from war with PTSD, horrible memories of the terrible things that our government uh, made these these young men and women do out in the uh, field of combat, folks. And so they come back with PTSD, and he's starting to talk about technology to help wipe their minds clean. Let's watch this. So what to do with memory? In medicine, we think of memory as a potentially harmful thing when people present with post-traumatic stress disorder. They can't stop thinking about the thing that's creating emotional distress. It's a very active development in the field to figure out, can we erase memory? Can we modify memory? Can we change memory? Okay, and let me just say, Dr. Charles Morgan, if you remember, we reviewed his bio in his resume a couple of episodes ago. So he works in the field of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, currently out of University of New Haven, formerly at Yale University. So we're getting into his specialty here. But remember, this presentation he's giving grew out of a presentation he gave to the CIA years ago when he had his exit interview. So he was leaving the CIA His uh, superiors asked him to predict the future. He said, wow, it's very difficult to predict the future. Instead, I'm going to predict what's going to happen over the next five years. And then he's continued to expand on this presentation with new technologies. And so he keeps it up to date. And right now he's lecturing the West Point Academy's faculty and um and students there okay and so um, he's talking to the cadets and now he's about to get into memory short answer is yes several years ago with the pm zeta data out of duke university this was the first time that anyone had ever demonstrated that if you wash an area of the brain called the hippocampus 
it's an area of our brain that's crucial. For- All right, let's pause for one second. Up on the screen, um, he's got PKM Zeta. So capital P, capital K, capital M, lowercase Z-E-T-A, and ZIP, the inhibitor. So it's this PKM, Zeta, and ZIP. And so now he's talking about washing a part of the brain away. All right, so I'm going to back that up a second. We're going to play that through because this is important, folks. ago with the PKM, Zeta data out of Duke University, this was the first time that anyone had ever demonstrated that if you wash an area of the brain called the hippocampus, it's an area of our brain that's crucial for forming short memories, spatial memories, and then facilitating the transfer from a short-term memory to something that's more permanent and stable over time, that he could train the mice to run the maze, document the number of trials and errors, and then flood their hippocampus or expose it to this, and the memory would be completely gone. Okay. Do you understand what he's talking about there, folks? What he's talking about is they took a little mouse over at Duke University, a cute little mouse there, just a cute, innocent little mouse. And so they take the mouse and they run it through a maze. And obviously the mouse would build up you know, a memory of getting through that maze. And then what they do is they wipe the mouse's hippocampus memory. And the reason why they do that or why they're doing that is they're wiping your short-term memory away. All right? That's what he's talking about, the ability to wipe your memory away. Yes, of course this is in many dystopian sci-fi films, but put this technology into the hands of Dr. Charles Morgan III, and he will put it to work for the United States government. Because, folks, they stand on a moral high ground. They're only doing this because our enemies are doing this, too. (laughs) All right, let's watch. Meaning when the rats or the mice had to learn it over again, it was the same number of learning trials. And there was no trace of the memory left. Now, the good news uh, for us when we study rats and mice is we put electrodes and cannuli into their brain and can directly affect that area of the brain. If you wanted to poke your own hippocampus, you'd have to stick your finger through your eye and go right back in there. Sounds impossible to get to. Not if you program a cell to go there. Okay. So here we go, folks. Are you listening to what the, uh, what the mad scientist said there? What the old doctor? Dr. Chuck. Dr. Chuck. I mean, this is a fascinating lecture. I'm so glad that we stumbled upon this, folks. Fascinating. Fascinating. Over the years, I've heard people play it, but I haven't heard people really break it down. Not in this much depth, so that's what I wanted to do for you. And I've broken it down on purpose across multiple episodes because to try to take it all in in one episode, I think you would just forget too much of it. And so, although they're trying to wipe someone's memory clean, I'm trying to do this in a way that this will stick in your memory and that you will walk away with the knowledge um, of these topics uh, to be able to share them with friends and family. So what he's saying there is they ran the mouse through this maze and then they wiped its memory clean. And what they were able to prove was that the mouse had no traces of the memory of running through the maze each time they wiped the mouse's hippocampus clean, right? 
And so he said they can stick electrodes and stuff into the mouse's brain to do this. But for us, we'd have to stick our finger through our eye to be able to wipe that clean. I don't know. Maybe they can stick a Q-tip up into your brain and wipe that clean. Mm, That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Eventually, I'm going to show you some DARPA technology where they can write code onto somebody's brain, very similar to the Matrix, using a swab. And it actually writes code onto the brain. Uh, Quite interesting. I was warning family and friends the entire time COVID land, the high school theater production was in high gear. You know, during its uh, peak season, peak season of that uh, wonderful play, not to go get a probe put into their brain. But people didn't want to listen. So I don't know what they really did. But anyway, what he's saying now is rather than being able to touch the hippocampus with your finger through your eye, they can get to a human's by injecting a cell. Now, remember, as we reviewed this in episode 41, I believe, he was talking about the ability to inject someone in part with a stem cell that he says they can program to do anything, and they program the cell to go into your body, wherever they want it to be. So say it was going to be behind your eye. And then they can activate the cell using some kind of, uh, you know, an audio signal, a sound wave. And so then your brain picks it up, and boom, it activates the cell. And then the cell is going to do whatever it is they want it to do. So let's say they program the stem cell to store inside of your stomach. And then when they trigger it, they want it to uh, give you stomach cancer or they want it to give you a diarrhea or whatever it may be. They could just blow a dog whistle and as long as that whistle is programmed to the right frequency that your brain picks it up and activates the cell, then that's what'll happen. All right, so now he's talking about accessing your memory via the hippocampus using a cell that they put into your body. It's amazing. I mean, the government can do this, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic stuff, is it not? Remember, this is coming out of supposedly Duke University. And if I went and looked into each one of these, I know I would find government funding behind them because it's pretty much how all these guys are funded. Just like Charles C. Morgan or Charles Morgan and the stuff he's doing, over at University of New Haven um, are being funded by government grants. All right, let's continue. So if you decide you wanted to program something that would selectively release PKM Zeta after your meeting with someone, they probably would have no memory of it. Okay. Did you understand that? All right, let's back that up for a second, play it again, and then we'll break it down to program something that would selectively release PKM Zeta. After your meeting with someone, they probably would have no memory of it. Okay, so what he's saying is, one more time, folks. One more time. Let's hear that again. Right back in there. Sounds impossible to get to. Not if you program a cell to go there. So if you decide you wanted to program something that would selectively release PKM Zeta, after your meeting with someone, they probably would have no memory of it. So what he's talking about 
is if you wanted to program a cell, okay, that would then be inside someone that would be programmed to release the PKM Zeta, which would wipe the hippocampus clear, it would be a way for you to wipe that person's memory of ever meeting with you. So he doesn't get into, obviously, how they would get that cell into your body. But could you imagine, let's say, like, uh, I don't know, in some James Bond type of movies, Mission Impossible, where they walk by and they stick somebody with a needle that you know either gives them, like, a heart attack right away. But if they stuck you with some sort of a needle that injects a cell into you that is programmed to release this PKM Zeta that would then wipe your memory clean, then you would actually have no memory of the event that you were just at or the conversation you had there with somebody. And so if you couple that with the technology that he talked about a couple episodes ago, where they could literally trigger that cell to release this PKM Zeta using some sort of a sound wave. So let's say, I don't know, you meet with um, some spy, he gets some information from you, and then you go out to your car and you get an amber alert on your phone. And it goes, beep, 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 and that amber alert triggers the cell inside you to then wipe your memory clean of that meeting that you had. It's just totally gone. Oh, it's good to know the government has this, folks. They do this in order to protect us. It's all under national security. Trust me, they love you. They love me. They love all of us, folks. And that's why they're hard at work in the dungeons of the CIA and NASA and DARPA building this kind of technology. It's all about love, folks. And if you're watching the video right now, I have my wife's love coffee mug. And I'm going to drink a little sip of tea here because it's all about love, ladies and gentlemen. As I take a break, just think about that. Think about if I could stick you with a needle right now and then five minutes from now wipe your memory clean of ever having listened to the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. Never forget, don't wipe your memory clean. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am, I am, I am, I forgot, folks. My memory has been wiped clean. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You know what's amazing about this, this lecture? I mean, many things. But one of the things that's really amazing about this, folks, is that 
the CIA was employing this guy as an intelligence officer. And so as he's leaving, I told you in his exit interview, they ask him to basically put this presentation together. And then he modifies it and he goes out and he gives the presentation to, let's say, the West Point Military Academy cadets and faculty where he's giving this lecture to. And so this guy gets paid, really, in part to analyze this type of technology and come up with all the nefarious things that our enemies can do with it, actually what our own government could do with it, because that's the whole point of this, considering the fact that they're actually funding uh, the development of this technology through the public and private sectors and then also through academia. And so you say to yourself, this guy gets paid to do this for the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, what if we had a CIA, the Citizens Intelligence Agency, which is kind of what I'm trying to do over here, what Mike has been doing at the Thomas Payne Podcast and at Payne.tv slash gold for the last couple of years, building the Citizens Intelligence Agency. So as I'm out in the public, I've told you, I try to gather intelligence everywhere I can. I happen to be in an area where... I don't know if 90% of the people probably work for the government or a company that's floated by government contracts. So I'm able to pick up information from geneticists all the way to the uh, product uh, the department managers in the grocery stores on supply chain issues, was able to know when there's a toilet paper shortage coming, when there's going to be a uh, chocolate syrup <laughs> shortage coming or whatever it may be, folks, whatever it may be. And so keep your ear to the ground, you know, pick up intelligence. People sent me some videos of uh, car lots out in Texas full of cars, but yet the car lots, uh, the car dealerships are telling them they have no cars, there's a shortage. And then we were able to find out that some of those cars are waiting to get the computer chip. So keep your eyes and ears out for intelligence and then share it over at pain.tv slash gold or email me gold at pain.tv and you're helping build this CIA, the Citizens Intelligence Agency. At some point, I'm going to expand on that idea. I've thought of it for several years. I'm trying to figure out how to how to make it bigger where we can share information. And this is the type of information uh, that Mike used to share with his corporate clients. He's talked about that. He used to do corporate intelligence. So Citigroup that he worked for wants intelligence on certain companies or certain executives within companies to decide whether or not they're going to make investments in companies or they're going to give someone a loan, etc. And so it's the same thing here. You know, you gain intelligence every day, you share it, it gets broadcast by someone like me or Mike or Maria Albanese, or you guys retweet it on Twitter or share it at pain.tv slash gold, and then we spread the intelligence around, and then the people within our community, the ones who are within the community that we're building, consisting of each other, even though many of us have never met face-to-face, we're sharing this intelligence, and each of us could use that in our respective lives for for whatever reasons we so choose. But this is a citizen's intelligence agency. I mean, the presentation he's giving is similar to a presentation I would give, uh, much like the shows I give here, where I share the videos, the articles, the white papers, the technology, the investors, uh, the politicians, the states behind this stuff. And then I make opinions 
uh, based on my analysis on where they're going with the technology. I'm trying to warn you. I'm not trying to normalize this or desensitize you to it. I want to scare you. I want you to avoid the technology as much as possible. I want you to understand that this stuff is dangerous. I have nowhere to go with this other than to bring it to you. If I worked on the other side of this, in fact, at our baby shower last week, uh, an engineer uh, family friend said to me, you know, I listened to some of your podcasts. Now, if you turn this thing around and you talked about the technologies the same way you do, but you actually promoted them and talked about how good they are, as you'll see this military.com uh, podcast Left of Boom does, hosted by the managing editor Hope Hodge Sec, when she's talking to Dr. Peter Emanuel and Dr. Diane DeUlius. Um, she's promoting the technology. If I promoted the technology, this engineer told me, I could get all these sponsors and make all kinds of money off this show, but could I sleep at night? You know, would I be happy 20 years from now as I see the world pushed even further into the technocratic prison planet? Would I be able to sleep at night knowing that I was part of helping build that world? No. No, I would not be able to sleep at night. So that's why I don't do it. So the only way I'm able to share this information with a broader audience and try to help other people is by doing this podcast. Eventually, maybe if it gets bigger, if there's more people interested in this, I would love to go around and actually speak in person and meet some of you guys uh, and be able to do lectures like Dr. Morgan, but not so that I could come up with ways that the government could uh, harm people, kill people, genetically modify people, brain control people, but to be able to continue to warn regular people about these technologies and the nefarious purposes behind them so that regular people can avoid using them. I'd love to create sort of a kids-friendly version of this. Uh, you know, a Mr. Rogers type of situation, not as creepy as Mr. Rogers, but you know, somehow be able to reach a younger audience and warn them about the dangers of the technology. And while it's here... We may have to live one foot in the matrix and utilize these technologies for work, you know, to make a living or whatever, but then be able to live outside of the technological prison planet. So that's kind of the ideas I'm thinking about where I might go with this in the future. And so if you have any ideas about the type of people that would be interested in hearing more about this and what we're talking about, um, how to present this in other forms in order to sort of wake people up and introduce them to this in a way that they can you know, understand it and appreciate it, you know, feel free to let me know at gold at pain.tv. That's the email or join pain.tv slash gold and you could direct message me on there. I'm pretty good with getting back to people. Sometimes the app has some bugs that I know Mike is working out with the, the tech company that programmed it. Um, but I get packed to people there and on Twitter or whatever. Share your ideas with me. You know, how do we reach a bigger audience? What type of person are you? Why are you interested in this? And how we can shape this content to uh, reach more people and make this stuff more palatable. All right, let's continue with Dr. Chucky Morgan, ladies and gentlemen. Here he goes. That's what's happening in the rats, right? So the technical challenge right now is, how do we get a cell in there to do that in human? I can assure you they're working on that in non-human primates right now. 
Okay, there we go. How do we get the cell into a human to be able to wipe their hippocampus clean and erase their short-term memory? How many, what's the point specificity? Can we get it in there close enough to the hippocampus? Will those cells start reproducing in the next day, make enough of that stuff to wipe out a memory? Wow. So let me just read you something that he has up on the screen here. Hold on. I'm going to just play that back for a second. That's what's happening in the rats. Right? So the technical challenge right now is, how do we get a cell in there to do that in a human? I can assure you they're working on that in non-human primates right now. Okay, so up on the screen, he has Volk et al. 2013 Nature, PKZ not required for hippocampal plasticity. And he's got Lee et al. 2013 Nature, PRKEZ, I don't know, that's uh, Perkez, Null mice show normal learning and memory. PKZ overwriting learning memories 2014. And his last bullet point is a viral mediated overwriting of memory. And so he keeps showing notes up on the screen that are his notes to remember what to talk about. It's like his PowerPoint presentation. And sometimes he doesn't go through those clearly. But he's talking about how they're working on a way to get that cell into, you know, non-human primates right now. So they can then trigger it to wipe their memories clean. Did you ever see the movie Memento? It's like a guy who wakes up every morning and his memory is uh, wiped clean. And he's trying to solve the murder of his wife. Very interesting film. All right, let's continue. How many, what's the point specificity? Can we get it in there close enough to the hippocampus? Will those cells start reproducing in the next day? Make enough of that stuff to wipe out a memory. Wow. Related to this. Okay, okay. So before he goes, let me just read you what's up on the screen here, folks. He's got a slide. It says October 1st, 2009. The, uh, I don't know if it's 11-6 or 2-6, Roman numeral 2-6, nasal spray protects memory in humans. June 17th, 2013, 2015. Uh, it's called 2015 ISRIB Integrated Stress Response Inhibitor Enhanced Memory in Mice. And so it says potent small molecule inhibitor of the ISR that makes cells resistant to stress-induced phosphorylation of ELF2A. ISRIBs block the downstream effects and essentially restore the cell's translational capacity. Memory is protected. Now, the nasal spray is interesting because I've read about some technologies that DARPA's been working on to basically nasal spray and then it writes a code onto your brain. Let me make a note because that I don't think I actually have on my show list. DARPA spray. And we'll cover that. Maybe I can pull that up and cover that tomorrow. All right, let's continue with this. Once you start thinking about memory, are chemicals that not only wipe out memory, but chemicals that enhance it. So if you want a better human camera, a better, uh, uh, an individual who can just go see and remember everything, uh, that's the direction that the research in this lane is taking to help people with Alzheimer's. How to give them memory back. So what's being actively studied are the few people on the planet who have hypermnesia. In other words, they remember everything that's ever happened to them. 
we're actively trying to understand how to unlock that and unpack that and figure out why it is their memory does seem to record and they retain everything they've seen. Okay, let's pause that for a second because I want you to, to think about this. So first he's talking about the ability to wipe someone's short-term memory clean uh, through wiping the uh, hippocampus clean. Okay, now he's talking about the ability for someone to remember everything, this hypersensitive memory. And so, again, he brings it to the humanization factor in the official sort of public science community, where he's talking about developing this technology for Alzheimer's patients. But again, folks, just always remember the Alzheimer's patient, like the dementia patient, like the paraplegic, like the gentleman with ALS, those become the guinea pigs for the testing of the technology. So when he's saying they're trying to unpack sort of the DNA of the sort of freak person, the unique person who has a hypersensitive memory system and then they can figure out what cut of that dna is then they can take that and fuse that into the designer babies they'll build and grow inside of the synthetic womb so they could say we want someone who could remember everything okay let's take dna color palette seven and we'll inject that into the dna See, that's what they're, this is all the gene splicing stuff. This is designer babies, designer humans. All right, folks, think about that for a minute. Wiping your memory clean, giving you uh, incredible super memory. All right, that's where we are right now with Dr. Morgan. I mean, this stuff should be, should be um, at least hitting you in a way that you say, this is crazy. I can't believe our government does this. They can do this. They have a guy like Dr. Morgan analyzing this for them and figuring out how they can use it to their benefit. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, this is Alex Jones right here with the Super Memory Nasal Spray. You spray this stuff up inside your head, folks. This stuff's going to make you have super memory. It's going to keep the goblins away. You're going to remember every single memory you ever had when you cross paths with some kind of a cyborg super soldier and the chimera out there. When they merge the monkey with the man and the machine, what do we call that? A monkey man machine? A side banana-eating cyborg. This is Alex Jones with InfoWars.com. You can order the uh, memory, super memory nasal spray and the bone broth combined in a package. Super memory bone broth nasal spray. No, folks, it is me. It is me. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on... No, folks, it is me. We are right here with the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, we are in the middle of this um, Dr. Charles Morgan technology lecture. 
to the West Point Academy cadets and faculty. So let's pick up right where we left off, folks. He's talking about the ability to create the super memory folks by unpacking the super memory gene located in folks with super memory. All right. See, I remember that. They might come now and unpack my genes. <laughs> All right. Here we go, folks. They don't find it pleasant. Uh, and medicine would like to, people in medicine want to try and understand that so they can turn it into something beneficial for people who are losing memory. From a security and intelligence uh, standpoint, it is a really unique uh, opportunity to begin to discover, can you administer a drug that enhances human memory for a certain number of hours? Does it have to be permanent? So rather than carrying technical toys somewhere to try and record and collect information, your brain just remembers it which doesn't give anybody anything really to detect. So. All right, folks. So what he's talking about from the intelligence and military perspective is can they enhance someone's memory, an individual's memory for a certain period of time? So if you're going uh, to do recon, um, let's say they're going to send you over to, I don't know, Russia, and they want you to walk around uh, the Kremlin and remember everything that you saw. You know, can they manipulate your genes? Can they manipulate your memory to allow you to remember everything that you see, everything you hear? And so you come home basically as a hard drive full of all this data that they can unpack. So, I mean, think of the possibilities there, folks, and think of why these transhumanists would want to have these memories that could handle uh, everything and store everything. Well, you know, I don't know. If you're going to have access to the AI hive mind, of which Ray Kurzweil wants, access to all the knowledge, all the memories, all the feelings of everyone, and turn you into a super intelligent being, can your brain store all that data or process all of that data so you might have to develop some sort of a designer brain to be able to handle that amount of data processing or to be able to imprint certain memories onto the brain that could cross-reference with other memories and then somehow they can kind of flood out the stuff you don't need but have you remember the things you do i don't know all types of possibilities with this technology that they're developing but pretty freaky that they're actually doing it that they're actually doing it, isn't it? Unbelievable. All right, let's continue. That's one potential use for it, and that is one lane of research uh, that's going on. That was just my picture to remind me that the man who knew too much, if you remember the old Hitchcock film, essentially that's what he'd done. Remember, is memorize all the steps on how to make a bomb. Uh, he'd remembered the codes. He'd remembered everything. That research on hypermemory has gone more slowly than I thought in 2010. I thought by about... Uh, 2015, there would be some progress. There hasn't been uh, much yet in expanding memory very much. It seems to be a harder nut to crack than erasing memory. Erasing memory seems to be far easier. Okay, so he just said that the research hasn't gone as far as he thought, as quickly as he thought. But part of what I want to um, bring up here is because you're going to start to see this it's going to be a theme remember we were talking about the super soldier uh exoskeleton suit that barack obama in 2014 called the iron man suit or sorry I, I, it might have been tw yeah 2014 
2018 or something, he publicly said that we were building the Iron Man suit. And then we saw in 2019 that the military supposedly discontinued that program. Well, there are certain pieces of technology that end up falling by the wayside because they have other technology that they're developing that renders certain technology useless and or makes it sort of a moot point. So, for instance, let's go back to when we were kids, right? So, before my time, you had the eight-track cassette, basically, to play music, okay? Before that, would you have records? Then you went to the eight-track, and then in my time, when I was a kid, you had a cassette tape, and so the cassette tape went inside of the Walkman, and then you had the Walkman that you carried around with the foam headphones, and you could listen to the music on the uh, cassette tape. And it was kind of a pain because you had to sort of remember uh, by the music. You actually had to use your memory to rewind and fast-forward the tape to different parts to play certain music for people. And you would make a mixtape for your girlfriend or boyfriend. They would give each other mixtapes. We would make one. Oh, here's all the love songs that recorded off the radio in no particular order because we couldn't do that then. But then eventually you'd have equipment that you can edit the cassette tape and re-record them in certain order and so from there we went to cds and then you had the stores like strawberries or capital records or i think there was one called coconuts or something and so you would go in there and you'd buy the cd and the cd you could put inside your new like disc man it was like the walkman but played the cd and you could skip ahead songs right and so it was this great invention you go from the cassette tape to now the uh, CD that you can skip ahead. I want to listen to song four. I want to listen to song eight. They put bonus material on there. Some of them you could pop into your computer and it would open up like a bonus music video. And then, so people said uh, at the time, I remember reading about this in a trade. It was kind of like a wired magazine. They were now going to condense it down to what was like the size of a BB almost, like a BB that you'd put in a BB gun, like a little tiny bead. And basically you were going to buy the whole album on this bead and then you'd have basically a new version of the walkman to the disc man to the bead man or whatever it was going to be called and so you'd load all these bbs into the bead man and then you could shuffle them around and uh, you say i want to listen to this this album or that album or this album and then what ended up happening was itunes came out and so Apple comes out with the, uh, was it the iPod in the beginning? And so on the iPod now, you could go over to your computer because at this point now, most people had personal computers at home. You could then plug your iPod into the computer. You could buy the music you wanted at iTunes, and then you could load up your iPod with the music you wanted to listen to. And in the beginning, I don't know what it stored, 50 songs, and it was 100 songs and 1,000 songs. And so eventually now you don't need the iPods because the music is on your phone, right? Now you can beam your phone over to your Bluetooth you know, player, Bluetooth earphones or whatever. So what happened is they discontinued the research and development into the Beadman or whatever it was going to be, into the BB size uh, music album because they came out with the iTunes and the iPod. So they discontinued that technology. Well, you see that happen with the Iron Man exoskeleton suit. So I don't know why. I could probably do research into it and speculate on it a little bit more. But they may have discontinued that program. Let's say they really did. Let's take them at their word. Because maybe once they realized that they could gene edit 
and they could DNA splice and they could build or grow a superhuman inside of a synthetic womb, they were no longer going to need the exoskeleton. Because if the exoskeleton was going to provide, let's say, uh, an outer shell for protection against bullets or protection against fire or whatever it may be. Let's say they were going to wear a helmet that was going to beam down um, you know, 3D audio to them or was going to give them access to real-time data like Peter Thiel's Clearview AI uh, glasses that they're using in uh, law enforcement now where they can look at you or look at me, scan my face in real-time, it pulls up my file of all my uh, all the information, all the data located in my digital footprint file. Well, they might not need the exoskeleton if they realized that they could engineer a man that could heal himself or a man that the bullets don't matter or his skin doesn't burn. And so then they say, well, we got to be able to beam this intelligence into his head. Well, maybe they don't need the helmet anymore. They can implant the brain chip. Well, maybe how is he going to see the augmented reality data packets come up in front of him like Iron Man that the exoskeleton suit was going to be able to provide, that helmet would provide? Well, we could put augmented reality goggles on him. Well, we don't need those now. Now we have augmented reality contact lenses. Well, now we can just do a surgery and fuse the contact lenses onto his eyes. Okay, well, now we can just have the brain chip push the information into his head, and then he will see a projection out in front of him that's just coming from his brain. So you see, some of the technologies get rendered useless because they develop something else, because there's multiple technocratic scientists and engineers, multiple transhumanist uh, doctors out there that are working on different technologies on behalf of the same governmental organizations, all right, just working in a different laboratory. So if somebody now says, well, wait a second, what about that nasal spray we were working on that helps someone have a better memory for a limited amount of time, but they say, well, listen, we're already growing designer baby super soldiers in synthetic wombs. If you want them to have an incredible super memory, we just fuse that DNA code right into their DNA, and they're going to be born with the ability to have super memory. We don't really need to do the nasal spray anymore on some weakling soldier like we discussed in the, uh, I think it was a BBC article, that former four-star general who called the soldiers weaklings. And so you'd have to equip them with special vaccines to take their fear away, to take their fatigue away, to take their regret and their remorse away. And so if you can remove those things right in the DNA editing, you no longer need a DNA, uh, a nasal spray to enhance, let's say, my memory because you already have a super soldier that you built and then you grew, you designed, you engineered, and you grew in a synthetic womb. He doesn't need the nasal spray because you already designed him and engineered him to have super memory. See how that works? So that kind of technology may be removed and even somebody like Dr. Charles Morgan uh, because these programs are compartmentalized, he may not even know that that's why they're not developing it anymore. I mean, he may suspect because he has access to a lot more information that you or I do, but he may not know for sure. It may be some classified program that they said, uh, we close that down, but he can't know that we've already done DNA splicing or we have injection shots that the stem cell could go in, go to the hippocampus, change its uh, format, and give the person super 
memory. See what I'm saying? So he may not know about it, but this stuff happens all the time. There's technologies that come and outpace a current technology or they find a better one or they have some disruptive technology that comes into play that renders another useless. All right, so that's how that works. Ladies and gentlemen, think about that. Store it in your memory bank. When we come back, we're going to work our way through. Dr. Charles Morgan, we're finishing this up today. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and I will be right here, right back on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. I hope you lock that into your memory. Let me ask you, folks, would you want to remember everything? I don't know about that, but, you know, according to the uh, brain chip, they'll be able to just beam this information down into your head. So what is there really to remember? Plus, as Dr. Morgan explained a few episodes ago, you can just control a mouse that you send in there and he can beam information back to you so i don't know uh i don't know why you'd have to have a super memory but let's see what else the good doctor has to say ladies and gentlemen let's continue the last topic i wanted to uh review with you is memory i don't know if you recognize any of the imagery up there but i'll walk you through it uh with memory in the last five years what's been demonstrated is that you can train a fruit fly around uh, an aversive experience and you all right let me just pause for a second here because i just want to read you what's up on his screen all right and so it says believe what you uh believe what you remember but don't assume that what you remember is true all right i'm going to start that over we're going to replay that 2015 there would be some progress there hasn't been uh much yet in expanding memory very much it seems to be a harder nut to crack than erasing memory. Erasing memory seems to be far easier. The last topic I wanted to uh, review with you is memory. I don't know if you recognize any of the imagery up there, but I'll walk you through it. Uh, with memory, in the last five years, what's been demonstrated is that you can train a fruit fly around uh, an aversive experience, and you can transfer that memory to the brain of another fruit fly by manipulating uh, the rods. Yeah, and it gives it a memory for something that it's never had before, and then it reacts to the stimulus in the same way as the animal who did have the aversive learning. Uh, okay, you heard that, right? So he's got a picture of a fruit fly, and he's saying that you could transfer the memory of one fruit fly to the memory of another fruit fly, and then the second fruit fly who had the memory transferred to it will act in a way as if it had actually experienced and has the memory of the first fruit fly. Okay, let's go, uh, let's continue here. Uh, experience, it's been done in mice. I'll talk a little bit about Beth Loftus and I have done to men and women going through Sears school and changing memory. Uh, and I put the last slide up because this is in flatworms and this came out two years ago, that memory really is something beyond what we uh, typically understand in flatworms. You can cut their head off and their body still remembers stuff. 
So the, they're just beginning to uncode or decode where and how is memory stored in the body of this little creature so we can translate that into memory in animals that look different than that little creature. It's evolved. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Pause there for a second. So the mad scientist, the transhumanist technocratic doctor, uh, Charles Morgan, he's now showing this uh, flatworm, and he's saying you could cut the head off of a flatworm, and its body will still have memories even without its head. So they are doing experiments on the flatworm to figure out how to take that technology and transfer it into animals that that um, do not have the same body as the flatworm. What he's saying, folks, obviously read between the lines or read between the head and the body. They're trying to figure out how to program a human to be able to, let's say, not have a head. <laughs> And the body will still remember information. Remember, I told you that they are working on, and Dr. Morgan even admitted it here, technology to store data inside of DNA. And so, again, because they don't believe that humans are the construct of a creator, humans are merely um, guinea pigs to be experimented on. That's what he's saying. Read between the lines. They want to figure out how to take the flatworm natural technology when its head is cut off, that its body has memory, and work that and fuse that into some type of human. And you know now, with all the technologies we reviewed here, like CRISPR, uh, DNA splicing, gene editing, and stuff, that obviously that's what they're working towards. All right, let's continue. For a very interesting reason. So this is this, in 2009, using light, they've transferred, uh, they've transferred memory. You can turn things on and off uh, using light in animals to activate the hippocampus, turn memory. Okay, and so what he has up on the screen, it says, 2009, using light, scientists create fear-conditioned memories in a fruit fly by optically controlling uh, dopam uh, dopamine dopaminergic neurons. All right. I apologize, folks. I'm not a scientist. Some of these words, it's the first time I've seen them. 2013, using light to turn cells on and off, scientists create fear-conditioned memories in the hippocampus of mice. They engineered cells to express the gene for channel uh, rhodopsin, a protein that activates nerves when stimulated with light. All right, let's continue. Memory on and off. And so... Where are we with humans in creating false memories, giving them memories that they've never had? We've come a long way. My colleague is Beth Loftus. This was her early work. It was called Lost in a Mall. And what she did is she asked a person to be in the study. You could be in her study if you had a sibling that was at least five years older than you. And she'd say, we're interested in your memory from when you were a kid. I've asked your older sibling, your older brother or sister, uh, to give me four stories about you, and I want to know how much you remember. Okay, let's pause for a second so you can absorb that. So his colleague wants to run an experiment on this. So you can volunteer for the experiment if you have a sibling who's at least five years older than you. Okay, let's back this up for a second and listen again. 
uh, part of this, because most of us have normal memories, is that we've got to listen to this over and over sometimes. This is how we put it into our brains. We remember it, and then you're able to tie it back to other things that we've covered on the show. That's how I do it, folks. I train my brain to uh, remember the important things and wipe clean the things I don't really need. All right, so let's listen to this again. Early work, it was called Lost in a Mall. And what she did is she asked a person to be in the study. You could be in her study if you had a sibling that was at least five years older than you. And she'd say, we're interested in your memory from when you were a kid. I've asked your older sibling, your older brother or sister, uh, to give me four stories about you, and I want to know how much you remember. Okay, so... She is asking the older sibling, at least five years older than the, than the main subject of the test, four stories about you. So you're part of the test. Your older sibling, five years older or more, is asked four stories about you. Okay? What people didn't know is that there were four different stories. One of them was fake. And she wanted to see how long it would take for them to adopt a false memory. Okay, so quite interesting there, quite interesting. So as she, the doctor, let's say uh, I'm the doctor, okay, you listening, you are the subject of my experiment. You have an older sibling, five years uh, older than you or more. I, the doctor, ask your sibling for four stories about you. They give me four stories. I come back to you in a room, okay, and I say to you, okay, here's four stories that your brother, your sister, whatever, gave to me about you. But I'm going to give you three real stories, and I'm going to give you a fourth story that's fake, all right? And my experiment is to see if I could transfer that fake story into your head and if you'll adapt it as reality all right let's continue uh, to give me four stories about you and i want to know how much you remember what people didn't know is that there were four different stories one of them was fake and she wanted to see how long it would take for them to adopt a false memory the quick answer is after two interview sessions 30 percent of the subjects believed that they remembered the person who'd found them when they were lost at a mall and actually argued with the researcher uh, about whether or not the memory was true or not. And that's how I met her, and we decided to get together and run up to Brooklyn. Wow, let's play that back for a second. So you heard him. Okay, so it's the lost in the mall ex uh, experiment. So the fourth memory, it looks like what he's talking about, is that she would have a story about the time that you, or I would as the doctor, I would tell you about the time you were lost in the mall. And let's just get this again. He says that 30%, I believe, actually after two sessions, uh, buy into it. All right, let's continue. We're interested in your memory from when you were a kid. I've asked your older sibling, your older brother or sister, uh, to give me four stories about you, and I want to know how much you remember. What people didn't know is that there were four different stories. One of them was fake, and she wanted to see how long it would take for them to adopt a false memory. The quick answer is after two interview sessions, 30% of the subjects believed that they remembered the person who'd found them when they were lost at a mall. Okay, so after two sessions, 30% of the subjects, so 30% of the subjects actually believed the story and remembered the person who rescued them after they were lost at a mall. 
This is not creepy at all. I'm glad our government is spending money on this, folks. So let's continue. And actually argued with the researcher uh, about whether or not the memory was true or not. And that's how I met her. And we decided to get together and run up to Brunswick to Sears School and try a memory experiment. This is our design. Okay, so up on the screen now, he has a slide. Survival, school, schedule, and time of memory assessment and of exposure to misinformation. Okay, and then he has a chart up there, which I am not going to attempt to decode for you. So, uh, because to me, the print is very small and my screen is kind of far away from my face. But again, it's survival, school schedule, and time of memory assessment and of exposure to misinformation. Folks, when we come back from this break, we are going to unpack this. Let's see what the good doctor, the mad scientist, Dr. Charles Morgan III, has in store for us, ladies and gentlemen, manipulating the mind. Everything this guy is into is controlling other people, controlling animals, controlling memories, injecting genes and cells inside of people. This is Dr. Dr. Frankenstein. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv ladies and gentlemen it is dustin gold on the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold all right folks we are getting into some freaky technology are we not i don't know i think there was a movie with tom cruise about this i don't know if it was called vanilla sky or something was swapping memories and implanting memories in people's heads. I can't even remember all the movies that are out there that cover this kind of stuff. All right, folks, let's get back into this. So right now, he's got up on the screen, Dr. Charles Morgan has up on the screen, this slide, survival school schedule and time of memory assessment and of exposure to misinformation. So let's see what he's going to get into here. If you're not familiar with SEER, there's a classroom phase, there's an experiential phase. We were interested in sampling people when they were in isolation, when they were returning their gear, and at the end. And we tried a couple of different techniques. Group one, there's no misinformation. We simply want to sample accuracy of human memory for their experience. And we told them at the beginning of SEER, we want you to be the best little human collector possible. We are going to quiz you about your memory. Don't let us trick you. We want to know what you remember. Group two, we told them the same thing, but we lied. When they took their questionnaire at the end, we incorporated several techniques from false memory techniques, which are a little bit of leading questions to see whether or not we could create false memories. In the third group, we exposed them to an erroneous photograph of their interrogator. And in group three, we used the group four, we used a video. So here- hey, isn't it nice to know, isn't it nice to know that our military are running these experiments on our soldiers over here as he's talking about at SEER school without them knowing. And so let me ask you this question because it's a good point to bring this up, folks. I mentioned this 
theory over the last couple of episodes. But again, as I said, the person with dementia, the person with Alzheimer's, the person with uh, a debilitating disease, the person with um, you know limbs that don't work, this person with paralysis, you're just guinea pigs. And I've even said this about the soldiers, you know, they jack these guys up with all types of jabs, sadly. And I've heard stories that I can't share here um, about certain things that were done to certain people I know inside of the military um, and stuff where they didn't even know if they were on a training mission or if it was a live mission and how they would knock out guys. Uh, on the way to the mission, and then they'd wake you up before the mission, and you didn't know if you were in training or in live combat. So, see, they, they utilize these guys for experiments, these, these guys and these ladies, and it's pretty sad, folks. It's pretty sad. But right here, you have, well, maybe you think it's harmless, but you have Dr. Charles Morgan talking about it right here, running experiments on people that don't know that they're volunteering uh, for an experiment because they're not actually volunteering. They're being trip, tricked and manipulated. So the study, which is this survival school schedule and time of memory awareness of exposure to misinformation. Well, the exposure to the misinformation is being exposed to the good doctor who you believe is a good doctor. Right. When, in fact, he's actually running a misinformation experiment on you and he is misinformation because he's not even what he purports to be. All right. I'm going to play that back and we're going to listen to it again. It's an experiential phase. We were interested in sampling people when they were in isolation, when they were returning their gear and at the end. So in isolation, returning their gear and then at the end. And we tried a couple of different techniques. Group one, there's no misinformation. We simply want to sample accuracy of human memory for their experience. And we told them at the beginning of this year, we want you to be the best little human collector possible. We are going to quiz you about your memory. Don't let us trick you. We want to know what you remember. Group two, we told them the same thing, but we lied. Okay, so number one, they tell that group that they want them to be the best little human collectors for them. And come back, and then we're going to quiz you on your memory. Group two, they lied to them. When they took their questionnaire at the end, we incorporated several techniques from false memory techniques, which are a little bit of leading questions to see whether or not we could create false memories. In the third group, we exposed them to... Okay, so they try to create false memories by putting misleading information and using certain basically mind control techniques in the answers using leading questions. So for instance, uh, hey, Mike... When did you stop beating your wife? You know, that type of stuff. So they lead them. They lead them. Uh, okay, so when the green army tank drove by, when in fact the army tank was red, they're seeing if they can plant in your mind that the army tank was green and not red. All right, that's what they're doing there. So group number three. To an erroneous photograph of their interrogator. Okay, so an erroneous photograph of their interrogator. And in group three, we used the group four, we used a video. Okay, so in group four, a video. Now, let's see what he goes on to say. So here's what we did. Okay, so up on the screen now, he has a photograph of what appears to be 
sort of a Middle Eastern or Indian-looking gentleman. And then it points over to a lighter-skinned gentleman on the right who looks like he could be like a light-skinned Middle Eastern, maybe a Moroccan or some kind of uh, Hispanic-looking gentleman. And it says up at the top of the screen, the false memories created in soldiers caused 85% of students exposed to person on the left to identify person on right as their interrogator. So what it's saying is 80% of the students exposed uh, to person on the left to identify person on right. So they're exposed to the Indian, dark-skinned, Middle Eastern-looking gentleman with the mustache on the left. But then they identified the one on the right, the lighter-skinned gentleman, as their interrogator. Let's see what he says. By exposing them to a photograph uh, after they had been interrogated and placed in isolation stress, it could change them from this guy to this guy. Okay, so then they placed them in this isolation, you know, under stress, um, and then it basically changes their perception of this person this is uh you know like mind control techniques 48 hours later on who they would identify in the lineup their level of confidence was an eight out of ten uh that that was the person they had met okay so their level of confidence was eight out of ten when they said are you sure that's the guy they said yes okay do you believe that well i'm 80 percent confident in that I mean, are you guys 80% confident that this show today, the Dustin Gold Standard, was a great review of the 1968 World Series game? Because I'm 80% confident of that, folks. I don't know. Maybe you'd actually believe that if I put you into isolation and uh, tortured you. Hold on. Let's continue. We found that we could make them believe that there were guns, that there were knives, that there were caches of weapons, simply by altering the phrasing of a question or inserting something into a video. Okay, so now up on the screen, he it says licked by Pluto, okay, and it's a uh, photograph of Pluto the dog. So he's saying that they could make them believe by inserting a photo that they saw a cache of weapons and such. Okay, hold on. I'm going to back that up. We're going to re-listen to that and then run right through it. Here we go. To this guy, 48 hours later, on who they would identify in the lineup, their level of confidence was an 8 out of 10, uh, that that was the person they had met. We found that we could make them believe that there were guns, that there were knives, that there were caches of weapons, simply by altering the phrasing of a question or inserting something into a video. I'll give you an example. If we said, did your interrogator wear a weapon? If so, please describe it. We only got about a 2% endorsement of the presence of a weapon in the, in the interrogation. Okay, okay, so this is important now, because he's talking about manipulating the mind. He said, if the question was, did your interrogator have a weapon? If so, please describe it. Only 2% went in the direction of the weapon. Uh, phase. If we said, when you were being interrogated by your interrogator and the guy with the weapon interrupted the interrogation, what did they argue about? We didn't care what the answer was. We'd ask another question. They'd say, describe the weapon worn by your interrogator. It jumped to 30%, would tell us the type of firearm that they had seen in the interrogation booth. 
Okay, so what you need to understand here as you're listening to this is they do these kind of experiments because they're trying to figure out how to manipulate people's minds. Now, I will tell you, uh, I can't say who it was, but I had a close friend of mine who had a relative who um, was working out of UC Berkeley. And this person was approached several years ago to do an interview with Google. And so they went over to Google. Their expertise was reading brain scans. And so they went over to Google. Again, folks, this is part of the Citizens Intelligence Agency here. This is why talk to people and pick their minds, folks. Grab that important information. And so they uh, read brain scans. And so they went over to Google. And what Google was actually doing, the job that they had applied for, not even knowing the full aspects, they were invited to come to this interview, was to read brain scans for Google on a mind-reading, mind-control, mind-manipulation program. Uh, I poked around back then. I saw there was some connections to this to the CIA. They had asked for my advice through a mutual friend, and I said, uh, it all depends. If you want a life in the CIA, if you want to be like Dr. Charles Morgan here, then go for it. That's your career. Uh, Or if you don't want to have to worry about being whacked, Uh, later on because you have too much information that they do not want to get out, then I would try to figure out how to back out of this as quickly as possible. Say that you've decided to move, you are getting out of the field or whatever it may be. So what he's talking about right here is the ability to manipulate the mind. And then what they'll do is they'll try to streamline this process and then adopt it into some type of... um, you know, a larger scale technology, okay? Because they're not going to sit here and manipulate people's minds with a question and answer inside of an isolation room. All right, I'm rolling this back a few seconds. We're going to play this through. Interrogator and the guy with the weapon interrupted the interrogation. What did they argue about? We didn't care what the answer was. We'd ask another question. Describe the weapon worn by your interrogator. It jumped to 30% would tell us the type of firearm that they had seen in the interrogation booth. Okay, so now they're planting a memory into your head by asking the question, when the man with the gun interrupted your interview with the interrogator, right? So now they planted a weapon into the room that was never there. Then they come back and they say, because uh, they know that you're looking at everything, or they're looking, so they believe what you're saying is accurate. Then they come back and they say, okay, what kind of weapon did your interrogator have? 30% of them actually believe the interrogator had a weapon, whether they did or did not, right? So they plant that in the head. The interrogator does not have a weapon. Now they planted it that he does, and they got 30% of the people to describe the weapon as if it actually existed. All right, let's continue. It's a security violation, right? There, there weren't any. We got to record them. But with one question, we could do that. When you sample with a few more, you can actually increase the sample. So when we increased the stress at SEER, we found that instead of a 30% rate overall, we could create false memories in nearly everyone. That was in 900 people. Okay. So now he's saying they increased the stress levels of the people in the interrogation And uh, earlier he talked about isolation after the interrogation. So you increase the stress levels, then you go back and you basically run the test again, and they could plant that memory of the gun being there, even though it wasn't there, 
and basically a hundred percent out of what did he say 900 people a hundred percent out of 900 people bought into that all right i'm going to just play that back one more time so you can listen to the whole thing we didn't care what the answer was we'd ask another question describe the weapon worn by your interrogator it jumped to 30 percent would tell us the type of firearm that they had seen in the interrogation booth which is a security violation, right? There, there weren't any. We got to record them. But with one question, we could do that. When you sample with a few more, you can actually increase the sample. So when we increased the stress at SEER, we found that instead of a 30% rate overall, we could create false memories in nearly everyone. That was in 900 people. You hear that? So they increased the stress level and they could plant more false memories. Ladies and gentlemen, I have planted no false memories in you today. I am only planting the truth into your mind so that you could make the right decisions as you navigate this government-controlled prison planet. Don't let them push this misinformation into your head. Don't let them put the propaganda and the brainwashing into your brain, folks. Don't let them wash your brain. All right. When you watch these government propagandists on TV, watch out for some of the shows out there, some of the influencers out there who are trying to program you to believe things that are not real. I made a video when I was in uh, Poland, and it was me standing on a mountain in Zakopane, Poland. And I had the video of me standing there and I was pointing back to the mountains and talking about how I was watching the Russia-Ukraine war go on. And the whole point of the video was so that at the end of the two minutes, I could say, this is fake news. This is how it works. I can tell you anything with any background behind me and you're going to believe it as long as I look like I'm an authority and I know what I'm talking about. And you wouldn't believe how many people because uh, I had friends put this out in multiple channels and people would watch for one minute and start yelling at me about how I wasn't compassionate towards the Ukrainians and blah, blah, not even realizing, not even getting to the full two minutes to prove the point where I said, watch out for fake news. There's nothing behind me. I'm just pointing at hilltops, you know, at mountains behind me. I was pointing at hikers and saying they were Ukrainians fleeing. And so people bought into it right away. It was kind of my own personal test to see if I could plant misinformation into people's heads and they'd buy it and at the end of the day it actually worked which was pretty scary because i was hoping that it wouldn't work but folks i'll be right back we're going to get through the rest of this video just absorb that a little bit think about it in your life be careful for misinformation that's out there ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, I was thinking over the break pulling from my super memory after I took a big uh, nasal spray shot up into the old up into the old snazola there. Now I wanted to just say uh, 
years ago, and I remember this specifically, I used to talk about it on podcasts. It was the very beginning, the kickoff to Black Lives Matter, old hashtag BLM, folks. And it was on CNN, and Don Lemon was at the, um, where the heck was that? The first BLM stuff, it was after the Michael Brown incident. And so, uh, anyway, Don Lemon was there for multiple days, and they uh, were rioting on the streets, basically burning the city to the ground. And so Don Lemon was standing there. Uh, This is where my idea for the uh, Zacapana Mountain video came from don lemon was standing there on the street this is back when these guys still used to do ground reporting or were supposed to believe they were and he was standing there and he was obviously standing in front of like rioting that was going on like people were breaking windows of stores and lighting things on fire there was trucks being blown up and police cars being flipped over behind him he was there every day so this was going on for a couple days and he literally stood there and he goes ladies and gentlemen this is don lemon i'm standing here in front of a peaceful protest it's a peaceful protest of well-behaved people it's incredible uh behind me the people are just so relaxed everything is fine they're cooperating with the authorities they're just upset over what happened to michael brown ladies and gentlemen and so while it's going on a bottle gets thrown at him he gets hit with like it looked like a glass like beer bottle or soda bottle and he just goes what he kind of jumps out of the way they go to a commercial break i was watching it live at the time they come back and uh, he wasn't there. It was someone else. The next night, he's broadcasting from there, and they had him in what was like a shark cage, uh, literally a cage, to be able to protect him from having stuff thrown at him. And he continued to say, folks, I'm at a peaceful protest. Uh, this is not a riot. Nobody's getting hurt. And I was saying to myself, are there people that are seeing what I'm seeing? Uh, are they just listening to the brainwashing words of don lemon the soothed sensual voice of don lemon or are they actually seeing what's going on behind him and going wait a second you're trying to brainwash me you're trying to push this misinformation into my head you're trying to manipulate me in the moment and so i used to joke about it on podcasts and i would say this would be the equivalent of like an old uh leslie nielsen movie or something where leslie nielsen would be say standing there and behind him is a football game but he would be announcing a baseball game and he'd be like don mattingly just stepped up to the plate for the yankees folks oh my god he hit a home run mattingly is rounding first base while there's a football huddle behind him You know, that's what it's like. So as Dr. Charles Morgan is explaining this, he's talking about how to plant misinformation into one's head, right? How to manipulate them with fake news, but then get them to actually retain that information and in their own minds believe it is real. Okay, let's continue. Yeah. So Beth and I were talking about that. We said, well, you can change memory. We know that. It's a way of understanding maybe why and how people have recovered memories of abuse that never happened. Uh, That's what her work has mainly been about. So she decided to do a study called Licked by Pluto. 
she decided she couldn't make Mickey Mouse a sex offender, but in her lab they thought Pluto was fair game. Okay, they couldn't make Mickey Mickey Mouse a, a sex offender. I don't know why not, uh, but Pluto they can. All right. So these are the studies that she's doing about people that have repressed memories of being abused. All right, let's continue here. The short story is people got to, they were exposed to some misinformation about a man who had dressed in the Pluto outfit at Disney, and he'd been inappropriately rubbing his large fabric tongue on children pleasurably and um, not pleasurably. There were two different conditions, and there was a neutral condition. If people adopted the false memory... Okay, okay. So what he's talking about now is it looks like there was three scenarios in this study, okay? One of which was that Pluto was rubbing his tongue on people in a sexual manner. One was he was doing it in a non-sexual manner, and then one is that he's doing it uh, in a neutral manner. Okay, let's just replay that so we understand what he's saying. Who had dressed in the Pluto outfit at Disney, and he'd been inappropriately rubbing his large fabric tongue on children pleasurably and um, not pleasurably. There were two different conditions, and there was a neutral condition. If people adopted the false memory, and their memory was for something negative, they did not want to buy the Pluto toy. Right? When they went down their list, what they would not buy. She's done it with food. That was from her series uh, with Alan Alda. She gave him a false memory that he'd been sick one time eating uh, deviled eggs. And here they offer him one at the picnic on film, and you get the classic disgust wrinkle, and he said, now I got, got sick one time eating them. Okay, so now they're talking about how they planted a false memory into Alan Alda, the actor. Right, that he got sick one time off of what was a deviled egg, she said. And so now or he said, but coming from his doctor friend. So then when they go to offer him a devil egg at a picnic, he refuses to take it. Folks, this is mind control. They're altering your mind. In this sense, they're doing it through human-to-human -human intelligence. But as you see, Dr. Morgan's already talked about all of the technology used to do this to manipulate the mind and the memory using injection of cells and you know, DNA splicing and nasal sprays and eye drops and all types of technology, brain helmets. So they do all these type of experiments, this human-to-human -human, uh, experimentation, to later be used to build technologies to do this stuff more effectively and more efficiently. All right, let's continue. Not a true memory. It was planted. She's done it now with uh, strawberries and ice cream, also done it with pickles, and has done it with alcohol. Uh, study last year was that if you give college students the false memory that they were terribly hungover, they had a wicked hangover from drinking too much tequila, then when they're given free-range options at the bar, uh, like a week later, they decline it at twice the rate of everybody else. They go, nah, I got sick doing that. So think about it. If you change the past, you change human behavior. If you change the past, remember this, folks. Write this one down. If you change the past, you change human behavior. So, ask yourself the question. When we hear those who are the victors are the ones who write the history, right? Those who win the wars, those who win the battles, those in control, those in power. They control what the history books say actually happened. 
So think about book burning, right? When you've heard about the Nazis or you hear about uh, some of the Islamic conquests where they'll go in and they'll defeat uh, a country or whatever and they burn all the books. Well, they destroy the history. And then the history can only actually live on through the memories of the elders. But if they separate the young people, I've talked about this before, from the elders, let's say on a slave plantation, then the elders can't share the stories that came from their elders about when they were first captured in Africa or their own uh, tribal leader enslaved them, imprisoned them, and then sold them to the Europeans to bring to the United States. And so now that first generation comes here, they end up on a slave plantation. Let's say they give birth to a child on the plantation. They can share with them the memories. No, son, you weren't born into slavery. You weren't born into slavery. My grandfather, my father was captured. They were brought here. I was born here. Now you were born here. Well, if you can wipe the memory of one of those generations and also burn the books, you can change history. By changing history, you change human behavior. By changing the past, you change human behavior. By socially engineering society, by socially engineering the concept of, say, God or the creator out of society, you can then change human behavior. You can make humans more accepting of this type of technology, more accepting of transhumanism, more accepting of the merger of man and machine, more accepting of living in the prison planet slave plantation. Because as he just said, folks, if you change the past, you change human behavior. If you make someone believe that they got sick from tequila and then you offer them tequila for free a couple of weeks later, they may reject it because you planted a fake past in their head. As he says, these memories don't have to be real. You just have to believe they're real, folks. It's like saying there is no reality. There is only the perception of reality. But just write this quote down. I wrote it in my notebook here that I always keep. I have notebooks lined up here. If you change the past, you change human behavior. I'll be right back to finish up this video, this lecture by Charles Morgan III. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Folks, if you change the past, you change human behavior. You can erase our history, the true history, and replace it with something else. And humans will act in a different way, ladies and gentlemen. And that is what I think we are facing today. If you erase the natural world and make it as if it never existed, then you could change your behavior. We will accept that. 
and we will move into the technological transhumanist prison planet cyber world meta, uh, metaverse that they are building us. All right, I rolled this back so you can hear that quote from Dr. Morgan again, and we're going to finish up this video right now. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Here was that if you give college students the false memory that they were terribly hungover, they had a wicked hangover from drinking too much tequila, then when they're given free-range options at the bar, uh, like a week later, they decline it at twice the rate of everybody else. They go, nah, I got sick doing that. So think about it. If you change the past, you change human behavior. If you change the past, you change human behavior. Never forget that. We are a case-based reasoning animal. When we think about what we're going to do, we think about the last time we did something or the, what we heard about or what we think it would have done. So to change human motivation, we don't have to persuade people. You can just change their memory. Ah, ah we're a case-based creature. We're a case-based creature. See, they have us figured out, folks. It's like Yuval Noah Harari. He puts the formula up on screen, and he tells you exactly how they are going to hack us. Because once they've dissected us, they think they understand us, they can hack parts of us. But some of us are like Morpheus. Some of us are like Neo in The Matrix. Some of us cannot be hacked. Or at least we don't believe we can be. Because we understand what we are, where we came from. And we have a clear vision of where we're going. And we don't get distracted by the clickbait that they throw out in front of us. Let's listen to that one more time. You change human behavior. We are a case-based reasoning animal. When we think about what we're going to do, we think about the last time we did something or the, what we heard about, or what we think it would have done. So to change human motivation, we don't have to persuade people. You can just change their memory. So to change human motivation, we don't have to persuade people. We just change their memory. And you're going to see shortly when we get into Dr. Peter Emanuel, he talks about how important it is to convince the masses to accept the transhumanist agenda, so that they can continue to move forward with it. Let's continue. All right, so he's standing there clicking around with his mouse, Think folks. about the Not defensive and offensive capabilities of that. If you think about this from a defensive standpoint, you have the ability to change the memory of a person who's been debriefed in a safe house. Okay, let's pause for a second as he talks about changing the memory of someone who's been debriefed in a safe house. It says up on the screen now, what does it matter? Which is what many of you will probably say to me. Dustin, what does it matter that they're doing all this? It doesn't have a dominion over me. They don't have dominion over me. Okay, the bulleted list says, entirely false memories can be created. Recent and remote memory that is genuine, is vulnerable to substantial manipulation and modification. Humans are use, uh, use case-based reasoning when selecting a course of action. Changing the past changes the future. The current social medic, there are defensive and offensive implications. Okay, let's continue. About the identities of who they met, the layout. So we've looked at altering memory for floor plans, for faces, for timing. 
if they're wrapped up by their intelligence service, they don't have anything to lie about or what they remember is actually genuine, but it's wrong. Um, that might be a defensive uh, way of applying the technique. Uh, in medicine, people are arguing about whether or not you can use uh, false memories to help people. Can I give you a false memory that leads you to stop smoking, or is it unethical? Because I can't tell you I gave you a false memory. I'd have to do it outside of your permission for your good. Most okay, right. So then the doctors, the scientists, the engineers, okay, the quack psychiatrists, you know, is it ethical for them to plant memories in your head so that you'll stop doing something or start doing something that they deem to be good for you? So that, can they plant a false memory in your head, uh, something bad about smoking? I don't know. The time you dropped your cigarette at the party when you fell asleep on the couch and lit your crotch on fire, and then you needed to have genital reconstruction surgery to fix your... Uh, to fix your Johnson. I don't know. So they plant that memory in your head and then it forces you to quit smoking. I mean, should they be allowed to do this type of thing? That's what he's asking. So this thing is probably unethical. In the society we live in, we think you probably should be an informed consumer, but it's a possibility that you can do. And when I think about this, I think about its relevance in this day and age when you start wondering what information is real and what information is trustworthy. And you start running into people and debriefing them, and you have sources who claim things, when you can learn how to create false memories, a person can be genuine, and the information they remember is, it is the old dangle idea. You can put information out that's simply not true. But in the current social media age, the ability to actually manage people's memories and change them is, is just enhanced compared to what it used to be. Okay, pause there for a second. I'm sorry, I put a slide. It was a typo. It said social medic. He meant social media. So let me correct that from what I said when I was reading his bulleted list. But this is exactly what I was just talking to you about when I put out the fake video of Russia attacking Ukraine and people fleeing uh, up the mountain to the pasture. And I went into an in-depth story about how there was a hut down at the bottom that was uh, normally selling this smoked cheese in Poland to the tourists, but now they were donating it to the refugees. It really was a smoked cheese hut, but they were not donating it to the refugees because there were no refugees fleeing into that area. But so he's talking about the same thing. And this is why I say be very careful. Whenever people send me information on social media, especially if it's a one-minute video clip from an interview, I always go find the uh, source of that. So if it was an interview on, let's say, I don't know, uh, like, a, like something out of a documentary on Bill Gates, I try to find the full documentary, and I have to at least watch the five minutes before and after that clip to make a decision because I need to hear that clip in context to what was originally being said. Now, when people send it to us, I don't believe they're doing it for nefarious purposes, but you have to be careful because a lot of that stuff is disseminated so that it changes your opinion of something one way or the other or it's planted so that people like you and i will share it and then later it comes out that it was not true and then we're called conspiracy theorists for spreading false information so be very careful about what some of these influencers you know say on social media for instance jack posobic 
uh, tied to intelligence. Jack Posobiec put out the one-minute clip of Peter Thiel the other day saying that there were three scenarios for Eastern Europe. Um, and then I went and started watching uh, the clip. And, and like I said, Peter Thiel was being disingenuous because he has a fourth option, which is what he's offering. And so be very careful when you watch these clips or see these memes. Sometimes they are not accurate. They're meant to sway your opinion one way or the other or to make you look like a conspiracy theorist to your friends or family when you share it. And it turns out three days later that it's actually debunked and not true. And then you're forced to either admit that you were duped, which most people don't like to do. Uh, you are actually totally convinced about the accuracy of the video because you've been manipulated like Dr. Morgan is talking talking about doing to people you know or you have to admit you were wrong and then people are going to say that you get duped easily all right let's continue now you can you can fix videos and pictures and expose people to audio and visual uh, information and we know that even if they know that's a possibility people don't recognize when they adopt a false memory it's a it's a bit of a trojan horse effect you don't know that it's happened to you and if you're smart and you have a good memory you'll believe that happens to other people but not you because your memory is true so it bypasses some critical reasoning on our part. Okay, so he's talking about complete and total mind control and manipulation of people's memories. Uh, and I think it's particularly, uh, it's particularly effective. That's where the, where the state of the art is right now for uh, creating false memories in humans, uh, is doing that verbally or by these manipulations with either what we say, what we show them, what we expose them to. Um, but the chemical implanting of memories has now occurred in monkeys. So in trying to restore memory, uh, there is probably, I would say in the next two years, we should see the science experiment come out that says a memory has actually been transferred or created and planted back into a human brain. Okay, so he's saying that's going to come out, that a memory has been transferred into a human brain. I've seen some of this coming out of DARPA. So he already knows, obviously, he's got insider knowledge. Uh, he was a CIA intelligence officer, and so he already knows that. That's why he's alluding to it there with a big smile on his face. But what I told you before, which he confirms is right now they're utilizing the tests that him and his colleague are doing, this person-to-person -person inhuman uh, manipulation of people's minds, because that, that's the baseline for what they're going to do chemically and biologically, which he showed earlier, planting memories via injecting cells and such. All right, let's continue. That wasn't done by a classic uh, false memory technique but I would anticipate that that's the direction the research is going. How do you rebuild memories in people who've had a TBI? Um, active research is going on about that on uh, nanite reconstruction of brain, brain cells and, and brain networks. And the idea in the mental health community is people lost part of their brain. We want to restore memory and brain function. Can we put the memories back in? So it's, um, it's probably only science fiction for another two years, uh, given, given the state of the art and the progress. Uh, okay, so in 2018, he's saying it's pretty much only science fiction, meaning it's actually science fact already that they're doing it at that point. Otherwise, he wouldn't allude to that, I mean, with his knowledge. But again, folks, 
you know, they, they, they use the people who lost part of their memory as the guinea pigs, and then that's how they humanize it, normalize it, and desensitize people to it because it's being used for good purposes. But in reality, you have a mad scientist like him who is an evil person that the government employs to figure out all the nefarious things they can do with it. And or it goes up the food chain and these memory enhancements are going to be utilized uh, by the technocratic transhumanists uh, for themselves to have super memory or they will utilize this stuff to change our past in order to change our behavior all right let's continue around that and then uh, and the last thing i'll say i didn't have any videos for it i really wanted to sh show you one but the french have published a very interesting paper and it is this while people were sleeping they were able to train them and sample their knowledge in what they trained them in while they were asleep and while they were later awake and didn't know that they'd learned the information. Okay, do you hear that one? They can train you while you are sleeping. Okay, therefore they're planting information into your head while you are sleeping. So I'll say it again. In people who were asleep, they were able to tell what people knew around word recognition lists without ever waking the person up, they were also able to train new memory and information outside the person's awareness while they were asleep. Okay, so ask yourself this. When you have your smartphone in your bedroom with you while you were sleeping, or your Alexa, or your, uh, I don't know, Google Nest, or whatever it may be, could they be plugging information into your head, false information, while you are in fact sleeping? If you have a smart device connected to the internet in your room while you are sleeping, something you can hear? Look, I'll get into this at the beginning of the next show. Uh, actually, what I'm going to do, folks, is I am going to leave the last two minutes of this video for the beginning of the next show because I want to talk a little bit about some of the devices uh, that are now available for babies that we are 100% avoiding over here in the Gold household because of exactly this. Exactly this. I told you these people are mad scientists. They're sick. These people are disgusting. Everything is control and manipulation. But now you got the most important piece out of Dr. Charles Morgan. Him saying, if you change the past, you change human behavior. Now imagine what they could be planting in your head while you are in fact sleeping. Imagine that, folks. That should scare the crap out of you. The Sandman... The boogeyman, they are in your room. They are under your bed. Actually, they aren't. Now they're just sitting on your nightstand, disguised as a smart device. So smart, it can manipulate your past, which will help them change your behavior. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. <laughs> 